Acts 2, verses 37 to 47 from God's Word. Now that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Let us thank the Lord for his word. Good morning, church. I just want to take a moment and tell you how much I love and appreciate you as my church family. In all the turmoil in our nation and our world, all the pain, all the anger, all the fear, This church has been a safe place to wrestle with hard issues, to to voice our concerns, to pray and lament together, and yet we can still feel the love of Christ flowing through one another to one another. And so I just want to say thank you for that. That is a gift, and in my communication and connection with other pastors, it is not one to be taken for granted. We are in a series called koinonia. Koinonia is a Greek word, and it means, it's our English word, but we say fellowship. Fellowship, we're looking at how our fellowship with God and how our fellowship with one another is really the foundation for the Christian life. If you don't understand the, the concept, the truth of koinonia, you will struggle to grow in your relationship with God and with each other. Last week, we focused on fellowship with God. We learned how a Christian, as Pastor Brady said, a Christian is someone who is in fellowship with the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. It's a little, a share, literally a sharing in the life of the Trinity. 
And today we turn our focus now, so that's kind of our, our vertical fellowship with God. Now we kind of turn and look at our horizontal fellowship. How do we have fellowship with each other, specifically within the body of Christ, within the church family? Not in this building, but with the people, the church. And so I want to talk about a God-sized vision for fellowship in the church. This is incredibly relevant today because we live in a time that is uh, a time in history that is way more individualistic and private than maybe ever before. And while that's not all bad, uh, this has led to a significant crisis. And that crisis, one of the, the part of this crisis that I want to highlight that I think is urgent is this. It's the crisis of loneliness. Loneliness. Let me read a quote from a study done recently on loneliness. Cigna, the health insurance company, did a, a study with over 10,000 adults. Oftentimes these studies are done with a few hundred people, over 10,000 adults, and they found this, quote, more than three in five Americans are lonely. With more and more people reporting feeling like they are left out, poorly understood, and lacking companionship. More than three in five Americans acknowledges that they're lonely. And that's probably not surprising. Is that surprising to us right now? Probably not. We're in the midst of a pandemic, right? Things are shut down. We're more isolated. Here's where you should be surprised. Those findings, that study was reported in January of 2020. Two months before the pandemic started. Now, does that surprise you? Imagine how much worse the problem is now. Another one says, Studies show chronic loneliness has clear links to other health problems, including dementia, depression, anxiety, self-harm, heart conditions, and substance abuse. People without social support also have a lower chance of full recovery after a serious illness than people with a strong network. And then they say this, the health consequences of loneliness is likened to the effect of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I'm not overstating the case that loneliness is a crisis. It has significant Effects on our bodies, on our minds, on our communities. And so the question is, does the church have any role in addressing this issue? Do we have any role in, in combating this, this issue that is taking lives regularly? And the answer is yes, absolutely, the church has a role. How do we respond to such loneliness? Well, we need a God-sized vision for fellowship in the church. That's what we need. We need the New Testament picture of the church to captivate our, our hearts and our minds yet again so that it compels us to make changes in how we live and so that we might be more in alignment with God's vision for the church. Acts 2, what Andy just read, is the birth of the church. 
right? Jesus ascended to heaven, said, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. They were waiting and praying, and the Holy Spirit does come and fills up his people, and, and Peter gets up. There's 120 believers at this time, roughly, and, and Peter gets up in front of this large crowd who had, been, who had gathered in Jerusalem for the Jewish festival of Pentecost. People from all over the region, people from all kinds of cultures, all languages are present now, and Peter gets up, and he preaches this powerful message of, of the gospel and, and who Jesus is is and what he had done to deal with their sin problem. And it says thousands of people repent and trust in this Jesus as their Savior. And they immediately get baptized. And all of a sudden, the church grew from 120 to 3,120. And then the question is, now what? Now what do you do with all these people? A lot of them had come back because they were part of the diaspora. They had come back and they're going to stay there in the region. And verses 42 and 47 of Acts 2 describe what the early church looked like. These are the things that set them apart. And they were it says they were devoted to these four things. To the apostles' teaching in verse 42. To the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I want to go through each of these four things. First, our first lesson Teaching God's Word is the foundation of our unity and our ministry as a church. It says, notice it says they devoted themselves to these things. That word is a present word. It's an active tense word. It literally says they continually devoted themselves. The word devoted means to hold fast, to, to, um, to persevere, to give yourself entirely to something. As one commentator says, he, he says the idea, the word has the idea of persisting obstinately in something. Not giving up, not letting down. This group of diverse people became a deeply intimate community through persisting obstinately in the apostles' teaching, in the fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And, and it so happened that, that when they did this, this community was so influential that it actually exploded in the first three centuries of the church. Did you, did you know that? How does a, a few, how does a hundred people grow to three thousand people and grow to take over the known Roman world in just three centuries? How, how does the church overtake and displace the Greco-Roman culture and, and, and mindset and even their major religion? It's because they had this God-sized vision for fellowship in the church. They were living out what God designed for them to do, and they were not just, it not just made them deeper, it was contagious and led them wider. They devoted to these four things in response to receiving the gospel, which means if you believe the gospel, your lives, our lives, should increasingly reflect a devotion to these four things. First, again, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching? It was primarily the Old Testament at this time. If you look back at Peter's sermon, which we didn't read because it's a long sermon, uh, all of Acts 2 basically is Peter's sermon, you'll see his teaching centered on the person and the work of Jesus. And he uses the Old Testament to substantiate the claims of Jesus being Savior and King. Jesus himself spent three years with his disciples and with the crowds. And what was his primary focus? 
It wasn't the miracles. His primary focus was what? Teaching. He would teach his disciples. He would teach the crowds. And then he would perform miracles to prove that his teaching was legitimate and true and not from this world, but from above. And when Jesus ascends into heaven and commissions his disciples and commissions us, what does he say? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. These new Christians devoted themselves to the authority of the apostles' teaching. This is what unified them. The apostles' teaching ultimately becomes the writings of the New Testament. Peter and John, later Paul, all of, the, all of their teachings ultimately become inspired and become part of the New Testament themselves. And so how do we give ourselves to the, uh, uh, to the authority of the apostles' teaching? We are to give ourselves to the Bible. We are to be devoted to the Bible. And so my, my first question to you is, are you devoted to this book? Do you give your life to knowing the Bible so that you can know the God of the Bible? Do you believe there are few things better for your soul as studying and believing and living by the Bible? You say, yeah, I pull it out every Sunday. Well, that's good. I want to give you a test. I would like you to eat Every Sunday, and no more. You say, I can't do that. I'd be starving. Yeah, you're right. Your body, and your body would tell you, won't it? We're so, we're so spoiled with food. Our body tells us half an hour after we eat that we're hungry. At least my body does. Come, church, we need, we need, this is food for our souls. Are you devoted to it? Listen, this church is a place where the Bible is central, where it shapes us and it sharpens us. One of the marks of a healthy church is that the Bible is loved and read and studied and obeyed. I hope you can appreciate that when we're reading Scripture throughout the service, it's not filler. It's, first of all, it's commanded by God. Second of all, it's food for our soul. As pastors, we have nothing worthwhile to tell you unless it relates to explaining and applying the words of this book. Listen, God shows up when His Word is taught. You know that? It may seem like a very ordinary thing. Some of you think it sounds, it's a very boring thing. One guy speaking for half an hour. I know, I talk to kids all the time and teenagers are like, is this really the best you guys can do? Like this, this setup, is there anything? I mean, can't you have flashy videos? Can't you guys have skits and stuff like that? I mean, maybe, but this is the thing that's going to give us life. God is, God, listen, when God's word is preached, when it's taught, he's convicting some. Right now he's bringing conviction. And for others, he's, he's bringing comfort that no one else can bring. And right now he can break the bondage of habitual sin. And right now he can heal wounds. And right now he can soften hearts that we can offer forgiveness to those who have hurt us. That is supernatural work. And every one of that and every one of us needs it, including me. They devoted themselves 
the apostles' teaching, to the authority of God's word taught, and the apostles taught them both publicly, it says in the temple courts, and in home to home, in smaller settings. Number two, fellowship. Fellowship is the glue that binds us together, or binds our hearts together, and the fuel that sends us out on mission. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, it says. There's this profound sense that they were not just showing up to a meeting. They were sharing their lives on all levels. Again, fellowship does not mean potluck meals. That can be a form of fellowship. But please don't equate fellowship with, with like, you know, stale cookies and punch and think that's going to change lives. This is the word koinonia that we, this is where we get our series title from. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to koinonia. The basic idea of fellowship is the idea of sharing or giving. Brady gave us a definition of fellowship last week in terms of our relationship with God. He says, the definition he gave us, to partake, and I'm going to put up on the screen in a minute, to partake in the life of the Trinity and to partner in the purpose of the Trinity. But he also mentioned that because we now share in fellowship with God through Christ, we now share in fellowship with one another. That's because through faith in Christ, we are brought into a common identity. We are now, more than anything else, we are now brothers and sisters in Christ. More now than anything else, we are, we are part of the body of Christ. We have been given the Holy Spirit to live within us. And so let me add to that definition to account for fellowship among us. This is a long one, and then I'm going to give you the shortened version. Here's the long definition. To partake in the life of the Trinity and partner in the purpose of the Trinity together with other believers. That's the vertical and the, and the horizontal fellowship. That's the word koinonia, to partake or partner, to share in. If some of you would rather have the cliff notes, here's the, here's the cliff note, Okay. Shortened version, sharing in the life and mission of the Trinity. That's fellowship. That's koinonia. Sharing in the life and mission of the Trinity. Together. 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 I probably should put that word in there. Together. Together. The word sharing is active. It's an active word. It means giving. You see, an important component of fellowship that if you study what koinonia means, and if you study the, the uses in this time period, you realize that when, whenever they talk about fellowship, there was always a level of self-sacrifice. In fact, it was always a self-sacrificing conformity to a shared mission. When two people said, let's buy a boat and start a fishing business, that was their koinonia. And they had to give up something to join together, and there was a common mission. Here's the point. Fellowship is costly. Again, the word giving or sharing means you give something. If you're not experiencing true fellowship with other believers, it may be, it may not be, but it may be because you are unwilling to bear the cost of giving yourselves to others. For the early Christians, the shared mission was the advance of the gospel. They had this vision, they had this, this vision given to them by Jesus himself of a world 
the whole world full of people devoted to Jesus, worshiping Jesus, honoring Jesus as Savior and King. That was their mission. And so they gave their lives together in the, in the Trinity to pursue this mission together. What did that look like? Verse 44 and verse 45. And all who believed were together. There's that word. Notice together will show up multiple times here. It's, it's, a, it's a passage that defines fellowship for us. So you're like, where do you get that definition? It's right here. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. In other words, they lived self-sacrificing lives. They sacrificed time to be together. Notice that? Time. Even when it was inconvenient for them. You want to have fellowship with other people? You want, you, want to, you want to help overcome the loneliness in our community, in our world? It's going to involve sacrifice, and it starts with us. We got to be willing to be inconvenienced. I talked a couple weeks ago about you know, people coming to our home unannounced. Listen, there's got to be some level of inconvenience, and it's not going to be just be me. We won't necessarily publish your address, but man, you, you got to be willing to be with other people. I know, it's danger, I know the dangers right now. We'll talk about that in just a second. But that, that is, this passage doesn't get set aside during COVID. Okay. They also sacrificed resources for one another. They were so invested in each other's lives, it says, that, when, that first of all, that they knew that there was a need. It says that when a need arose, which means they realized Joe and Jane have a need. Something's going on. They're, they, they're, they can't pay rent this month. What's going on? And so what did they do? They generously gave up their own resources to meet needs of others within the body. You say, that's communism. You're, you're talking about giving up your reason. No, I'm not talking about forced re redistribution of wealth. I'm not talking about that. That's communism. That's not what the Bible teaches. This is, this is fellowship or this is spiritual communalism, if you want, if you will, where people voluntarily share their resources to meet the needs of the family. Nobody forced them. And then later when Ananias and Sapphira lie about it, the apostles are like, we didn't even force you. Why are you even lying? They literally distributed, pro they sold their property and gave. I love this church because this is a giving church. I love this church because if we say that there is a need, people are going to respond. Dozens and dozens of people you have helped just this past year and over the last few months. I praise God for that. Thank you, church. Notice it says in verse 44, they, they, they were all together, all who believed were together, and that has this interesting phrase, and had all things in common. That has always sounded odd to me. Here are people, and if you read earlier in chapter Acts 2, you find, you, they list all the places they're from. All the cities, all the towns, all the regions, they're from all over the place. They were different culturally. Their skin colors looked all different. Economically, some were slaves, some were merchants, some were patricians, basically the elite class in, at that time. They were different educationally. They were different politically. Some supported Roman rule. Others wanted to overthrow Roman rule. And yet all these differences, and Luke says to us, inspired by God, they had all things in common. 
How could he say that? Here's my best guess. I, I think it's because their differences, which were real and, and, and appropriate, their differences actually reinforced and highlighted their unity in Christ. They didn't ignore their differences, but in Christ, those differences are not opposing to each other, they're actually complementary to each other. As one church member said to me this week, we were talking about this passage, and she said, you know, hydrogen and oxygen are different elements, right? And I can relate to this because I'm a science buff. I did science. And, yeah, yeah, talk to me about elements. I love the periodic table, right? Hydrogen, some of you are like, ah, oh, it's terrible. Hydrogen and oxygen are different elements. They got different weight. They have different um, design, how they work with electrons and stuff like that. They're different. And yet when they're bound together as H2O, they are unified, aren't they? It makes water. And I don't have water up here, but if, if I had water, you, you, we can't divide water. You get a water bottle, you can't divide it. You can't be like, I'd rather get rid of the hydrogen today and have just the oxygen. You can't do that. In labs, in very, very restrictive situations, they can, they can actually divide it. But listen, I bring this water up, I give you a million dollars, you cannot take it away. You cannot separate the hydrogen and the oxygen. It has all things in common. That's the depth of what we share in common with each other in Christ. Just like the early church, we as a church are a diverse body. We are diverse culturally. Just look around and you'll see the difference in skin colors. You'll see the difference in our, 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 our heritage, our diverse heritage. You see the difference economically. Some people make $50,000 a year. Some people make $250,000 a year. Some of us have high school diplomas and other of us have doctorates. Some of us are passionate Republicans and some of us are passionate Democrats and some of us are passionate neither. And guess what? In Christ, we have all things in common. Can, can you even... Can that, can, if that concept blows your mind, it should. And you ought to think about it. You ought to meditate on it. And you ought to turn off the TV and turn off, off the social media and actually start listening to God's word more than you listen to whatever, that, whatever you're listening to. Because I'm sure they're not talking like this. What you're listening to says we have nothing in common. And you wonder why there's violence and vilifying each other. Because if they're the enemy, then we got to take them down. No, that's ridiculous. That's lies from the enemy. And the church should know better. It, our unity runs so deep. It's not that these other things aren't important. Listen, I have Egyptian heritage, and I forever will. You can't take that away. Right? And my nose bears witness to that. I'll just point it out. I know. My family, my kids are like, man, does this still grow, Dad? I don't know. <laughs> but listen, if I find my identity in my cultural ancestry more than I do my spiritual ancestry, then I will never experience true fellowship with other believers. And you know what it will do? It will lead to superiority. 
And I'll be honest, as a college student, I was a part of this group of other Egyptians who had immigrated, and we were kind of first generation born in America, and we would get together, and we, and we, we kind of touted our Egyptian heritage, and we actually called ourselves VIEs, very important Egyptians. <laughs> uh, I've never shared this, have I? Oh, man. And man, we, we were really proud of our heritage. And we would bring like girlfriends or boyfriends in. And like, so we'd bring Danny Beth in. And they would like grill her and make her feel bad for being American and not being Egyptian. It was really weird. <laughs> it led to a sense that, listen, you, if you find whatever those differences are, if you find your identity in that thing, it will lead to a sense of superiority. What I share with, in Christ is eternally greater and deeper and stronger than I share with, other, with anything, anyone else on an er, in an earthly sense. Or to put it another way, you share more in common with a believer from the opposing political party than you do with a non-Christian who has the same exact political beliefs as you. Oh, now it's getting hot, right? This may offend some of you, and my job as a preacher is to preach God's word and shepherd your heart, whether you like it or not. Because one of the greatest dangers in our society right now is that we are finding our identity in our political party, and it's idolatry. That's why you see so much violence in the last year and a half. That's why you saw violence on, the, on, on a scale we've never seen before at our Capitol on Wednesday. And you saw signs that said, Jesus saves. And, and, and if you heard reports, there was Christian music blaring as if somehow that had to do with Christianity, as if somehow Jesus had anything to do with what happened last Wednesday. I want to tell you, church, Jesus had nothing to do with what happened last Wednesday. That was not Christian. No matter what they thought and said. Sadly, some Christians have fallen into the trap of being more committed to a political party than they are to their Savior. And we need to repent. Because we have all things in common. I know we don't look alike, but we have all things in common. I know we don't think alike, but we have all things in common. Self-sacrificing conformity. Fellowship as a church means we give ourselves to one another more than we give ourselves to any other group. With our kids, I want to encourage you, don't unwittingly train your kids to be more devoted to outside groups than to the church. Yes, there's extracurriculars and those are awesome, but if all they know is what devotion looks like to this group and to that group, but not to this group, then we're, then we're unwittingly training them to realize this doesn't matter. Jesus said, by, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. John 13, 34. And so, Christian, Christian witness, right, how we speak, makes the gospel audible. But listen, Christian fellowship makes the gospel visible. That's God's vision for fellowship, to put the gospel on display. The early church's devotion and fellowship led them to want to be together, verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Meaning they, they would meet together as a large group, kind of like our church family, 
collectively in the temple courts. That's what, that was big enough to hold 3,000 people for the apostles to teach. And then they met together in smaller settings in their homes. This is what it looks like to be the church. Both of those things. You can't have a church that doesn't meet together regularly. By definition, it's not a church. The word ecclesia, church in the Greek, means called out ones who assemble together. So they were devoted to the regular gathering of the church and they were devoted to gathering in homes. So here's what I want to ask you. Are you devoted to those things? Are you devoted to those things? I'll start small on the smaller scale, then we'll go big. Are you devoted to gathering with small, a small group of Christians or Christians on a smaller scale where you can grow deeper with, with, with your faith and with their faith? I'm making a shameless plug. Join a small group. Wherever you live, wherever your stage of life is, you, someone asked me this week, how do I get connected? I'm going to tell you, call Pastor Brady. I can assure you he'll be just as passionate to get you involved as anyone else I know, probably more so than you. Right? We, we want this for you. Why? Because we know this is God's vision for fellowship. If you want to combat loneliness, if you want to experience true unity, get into a group. Don't buy the lie that you can't meet safely with anyone. You can meet, put on a mask, and, and you meet indoors distance. You say, I can't, I'm not sure I can even do that. Then go outside, buy a nice jacket. We'll I, I, I buy you a jacket if you need a jacket. So you can meet with, there's fire, there's fire pits, there's heaters out at gyro place. We've literally done everything we can to help you be able to meet with other Christians safely. It will be a sacrifice, but it's worth it. And now, are you devoted to gathering together with the church? We're in a difficult season, I admit, with COVID. And many of our church family, the majority of our church family is not present right now. For many reasons, most of them legitimate and wise. So rather than make a black blanket statement for what everyone should do, which I think would be foolish and uncaring, I'd rather ask you questions to assess yourself. And ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, to lead you, and ask these questions in community because, because people see our blind spots that we don't even see ourselves. People who love me and know me know my blind spots. So here's two questions I want to ask of you, of everyone. If before COVID, you were devoted to gathering with the church, is that desire still there or has it changed? If you're sitting at home and you say, my heart aches to be with the body of Christ. I long for it. I miss it. It's not the same. And I've heard this from many of you who say, thank God for the live stream. Thank God for the tens of thousands of dollars we've invested in making this a a better experience. But it's not the same. If you feel that ache, that reveals a deep devotion to fellowship. If that desire continues to, to burn then don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. God is still working deeply in your heart and keeping that sense of fellowship alive. Praise God for that. But listen, if that desire has waned or grown cold, then you need to ask, what has changed your devotion to fellowship? Are you comfortable being home? Have you given in to an unhealthy fear of being around people at all? 
I don't know the reasons. I don't know, I don't know your heart. That's why, I, that's why I'm not trying to guilt anyone. I'm asking you to ask the question. I have had someone, you know, not to connect to the church, tell me, you know what? I can have brunch in the morning and, I sit and then turn on the screen and it's really nice. And I would say, that is nice if it's a Saturday morning. You have, I'm asking you to ask the question of yourself and ask this question in community. Second question, what habits have you been forming in the last 10 months? Are those habits helping you grow in Christ and helping you grow connected to the body of Christ? Take an honest assessment on the habits that you've been forming the last 10 months. Are they helping you grow in fellowship, in in deeper unity with the Trinity and on, on mission with the Trinity? Here's what I would say. If you have to, even if you have to admit, you know what, my desire has waned. Or you know what, I've been cultivating habits that don't help me grow spiritually. If you admit that, that's okay. Admitting that is a good thing. That's God's grace to reveal those things in your life. And now the goal, now what do you do? You repent, you make a change. You pray to God, you ask Him, you get you out, you tell someone about it. Hey, I'm struggling with this. And now you've, you've grown a level of fellowship just by telling them and you can pray together and you can encourage one another and you can support one another and you can make a change. We have people every week who are turning for the very first time. And guess what? We're not keeping track going like, oh, have they? Uh, we're going, oh, praise God. It's great to see you. Or if you haven't been here at all, when I see you out and about, I see you, I'm going to say, praise God, it's good to see you. I don't care. I love you. We love you. Period. Does that make sense? I hope you're hearing me. I'm, t- I'm speaking right to you. You see, the danger of issues confronting us, whether it's COVID or the election or racial injustice, the danger of these issues is that they can destroy togetherness. And that's been evident in our, in our community, in our nation. It's been evident even in church, churches. But here's the thing. They don't have to. COVID can either destroy togetherness or it can deepen it. It can deepen your desire for it. And if it deepens your desire, even if you can't be together, then it proves, it proves the prevailing power of fellowship. It shows that Christian fellowship is better and stronger and more enduring than any of those issues. They were devoted to the fellowship. Next, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. I'm going to go quickly on these last two. Communion is our regular reminder of how deeply the gospel unites us. People differ when it says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. People differ. Are they, are they talking about sharing a meal together or are they talking about communion, the Lord's Supper? It's clear later in the text that they're talking about sharing a regular meals together. But th- there's a sense that to the breaking of bread, I think that this is referring to the formal act of communion. They were devoted to communion as a regular reminder of what unites them is the death of Jesus. That the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus not only shatters the barrier between us and God, it also shatters the barrier between us and one another. And so the ordinance of baptism and communion, which both happen here in Acts 2, have been entrusted to the local church as a way of affirming those who are part of the family of God. 
You get baptized as an affirmation by the church that this is a Christian, and then you take communion regularly as an affirmation we are still following Jesus, we thank God for his work on the cross, and the unity we have together. That's why we take this when we gather. When we gather. I felt convicted this week as I was studying and talking about how devoted they were to this and and feeling the pain for some of my brothers and sisters who haven't been able to be here in person in a while. And I know we shared communion uh, outdoors one time last summer and I felt, you know what? We need to change that. And so I texted the pastors like, guys, I feel convicted. We need to have an outdoor service. I don't care how cold it is. And we need to do communion again because there are some who are willing to come outside but not inside. And so here's the thing, church. We're going to do another outdoor service. It might be cold, but we're going to do that and we're going to share communion outdoors at a service, okay? So stay tuned. I don't even have a date yet because because I don't know. But we're going to do it, period. Are you devoted to the ordinance of communion? Are you devoted to sharing meals together with others? You say, it's complicated. I can't do it with COVID. I get it. I get it. But don't lose sight. We still need each other. Don't lose sight of the value of sharing a meal together and what that can do to build fellowship. Lastly, they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer deepens our unity as we grow in dependence on the Lord. We spent a whole sermon on this. The very first sermon of the series was on prayer. I'm convinced that we cannot grow in our fellowship with God and each other without prayer. That's why we launched the week of prayer. Every, every year, hopefully, by God's grace, we will start the year off with a week of prayer. And I want to say thank you for those of you who participated. Thank you. In person, online, Zoom, fire pits, prayer walks. There was lots of different formats, and you all responded. And, and I praise God that we are growing in our commitment to being a praying church. They didn't see praying as a last resort. They saw it as their top priority. May that be true of us as well. You see, as the church shared the gospel and lived out the implications of the gospel together, it became evangelistically compelling. And that's why in verse 47, and and they gained favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number daily. People came to Christ. God shows up in ways that only he can because he can build his church. Our job is to embrace the vision for fellowship. But you know, how do we get there? How do we get there? How do we devote ourselves to the Lord and each other? The only way, the power, the source that, drive, that can motivate any of this is to remember first and foremost that Jesus devoted himself to you. You realize that's how we're going to get here. That's how we get a God-sized vision for fellowship. We need to start with the, with the foundational truth that in, in order for me to be devoted to Christ, I remember that he devoted himself to me. That he gave himself, right? If, share, if, if devotion means sharing, a self-sacrifice and giving, Jesus did that. And he didn't just give a part of himself. He didn't just sell property. He literally gave his life for us. He literally went to the cross and died the death we should have died. We who deserve nothing, and yet he gave us everything. He took our punishment, our condemnation, and we get to experience his life. Listen, no other religion before or since has said that, that God gives himself away. The heart of Christianity is not to hold on to your life or your resources. It's to give it away. It's exactly what God did, and when God did that, it changed everything, and it changes us. If you're not a Christian, 
but you want to experience the life God intended for you. If you're lonely and you're longing for true intimacy with God and others, I encourage you right now, right now, turn from whatever you've been looking to and receive Jesus by faith as your Savior. Maybe you need to devote yourself to the church by becoming a member, by saying, you know what? I want to commit. I'm not just going to show up. I'm going to commit. Maybe you're not sacrificing anything as a member. Where do you need to devote yourself in order to advance a God-sized vision for fellowship in the church. Let me pray. Father, we cry out to you. We need you. We confess. We struggle to, to fulfill, to live out this vision. But God, we acknowledge that, and in our acknowledgement, I pray that you would, you would just come right in and show us that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just. That immediately you, you burst forth, not with anger or judgment or condemnation, that when we confess, you burst forth, as we learned last week, with mercy and love and compassion. That we don't have to be afraid coming to you admitting that we need help as if we're coming to a father who's disappointed. We come to a father who can't wait to wrap up in his arms and say, child, I love you more than you'll know. God, help change our views of who you are and who this church is meant to be. That you would deepen our fellowship, that we could say we have all things in common. Nothing I could do, nothing we can do to force that, Lord. That is a work of your spirit. You are already doing it. It is a good work. I'm just saying, Lord, please fan it into flames. For everyone listening, may they know they are loved. For everyone here right now, may they know they are loved by the Father in heaven. And if those who don't know you, may they turn to you and experience that love for the first time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.